Father, thank you for this time together as a family to read your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word together. As we study about unfaithfulness tonight, Father, please open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Please come and teach us. Convict our hearts. And we yield our hearts up to you, fertile soil. Please lay down deep roots. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So I'm going to start with the verse that I that I messed up last night. All righty. We'll plow that ground over again. Due to a typo. But I'm going to do over. <laughs> get a do over. Okay. But it's it's all good, right? Because it's That's the right. word. It's all good. So instead of Matthew eight chapter uh, chapter eight verse six, it was it was actually supposed to have been Matthew eighteen verse six. <laughs> Matthew eighteen verse six says, "But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believes in me, it were better for him that a millstone be hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned." In the depths of the sea. And the next verse says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that person by whom the offenses come. So um, we started out the call tonight with a little airing out of offenses and, and what is offensive out there. And so when I saw that next verse, I thought, you know, it might be a good time for us to remind each other that these offenses have to come. But woe to those people by whom those offenses come. And praise God, praise God that he raises up those for such a time as this that will go out and touch hearts because just because we don't relate with it or we don't understand it or it doesn't fit into the square box that we believe God fits in Jesus himself said if they're not against me they are for me amen and uh, and I also am guilty of scoffing at uh, Kanye West when my kids were listening to his music. And I have, I have since been convicted of my nasty religiosity ways. And now my confession is forever preserved in one of these podcasts so that uh, you guys can bring it up and uh, put me in my place later. <laughs> You're so funny, but you know... Um... We don't have to do that. The Lord will do that. <laughs> the Lord already has done that. Yeah. I, you, you guys, you'll you'll learn one thing about me. I I may make I do make mistakes because I am a man. But when the Lord convicts me, I'm quick to repent. And not only am I quick to repent, I don't try to hide the evidence. 
I leave it Amen. right out there in front of God and everybody. And I say, look, I made a mistake. There it is. And I repented for it. Amen. Our next verse tonight is in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And we're going to be reading verse 42. Which essentially is Mark's testimony of the same uh, statement by Christ. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it's better for him that a millstone were hung about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And in, and in Mark, Jesus goes on to say, and if your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. And I wonder how many of us today take those verses seriously. That we think, you know, if this piece of our body causes offense or is a stumbling block, we should remove it. How many of us have ever thought about plucking out our eye if our eye wanders lustfully after the flesh? Or think about cutting out our tongue if our tongue is perpetually telling lies or saying things that hurt others? How many of us have thought of that? To remove those things from our body. 2,000 years ago, I'm sure that they took that verse very seriously. Very seriously. And I'm certain that there were those who plucked their eyes out. Now, I would be surprised if there were even one on the entire planet that did it for the cause of Christ. When our Lord returns, will he find faith? Our next verse tonight is in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Verse 2. Same verse, only through the testimony of Luke. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he was cast into the sea than that he should offend even one of these little ones. Now let's put now it in the context. And I'm going to read you the verse that comes after that in Luke. The verse that comes after that in Luke says, Take heed to yourselves. Give attention to yourselves. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Unfaithfulness also is a lack of forgiveness. Our inability to forgive others is an unfaithfulness because of the forgiveness that's offered to us freely. We read Jeremiah 17.5 last night about a man putting his trust in flesh, making his right arm 
is flesh, strength of flesh. And our next our next verse tonight is in Matthew 19:6. And then we're going to read a parable and talk about that parable. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I do it again? That is not, that cannot be true. <laughs> You did All right, I got, 19, I, got, I got it. I got it. That's you. I, I found the one. I found where that one fell. Okay. Oh, it's, it, it's supposed to be nine instead of nineteen. No, no, I'm I'm being I'm being silly. Oh. Matthew Matthew nineteen verse six. Wherefore, they are no more two people, but they are one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And, and the message of that is, is that a man cannot forsake his wife. If he forsakes his wife, he for, forsakes himself. And he forsakes the covenant that God has made. He forsakes God that is in him. You know, God cannot turn upon himself. God, God can't, um, he cannot lie. He cannot swear by himself. And, and God made us in his image. And if, if we think about that, if you really ponder that, and you think about that marital covenant, then the truth is, even if our wife was unfaithful to us in the flesh, even if she cheated on us, we don't have cause for divorce. Not unless we want to be judged by the same measure with which we judge. I used to think that the flesh was everything. But the more I learn God's covenant and the nature of God that lives in me, the less I'm concerned about the things of the world. And the more I'm concerned about storing that up and perfecting that, which I will require once this fleeting life is over. I have a question. Yeah. I'm, I'm divorced. I know. And, um, I mean, it was infidelity. So what's your question? My question is, am I going to be judged? Well, your husband put you away, huh? Yes, he did. So why would you be judged for that? Because we're one flesh? No, we're talking about the unfaithfulness of a husband here. Okay, okay. And and there is some unfaithfulness of a wife, make no mistake. And, and under some different circumstances, there could certainly be some repentant, repenting that you need to do there. But, but I don't think so, not from, not from what I understand of the situation. The only thing I do understand is that you need to 
you need to ask the Lord to break off those soul ties, which you're still struggling with. Yeah. It needs to break off those soul ties and you need to commit to your marriage to the Lord. And when you, when you are fully committed to your marriage to the Lord, then by God's grace, and I, I'll prophesy this, I know that God has a mighty man of God for you in the wings. And he's just waiting on you to get used to the covenant of marriage with him before you get used to the covenant of marriage with your mighty man of God. <clears throat> And and I and I know that there's a, at least one other woman on this call that can attest to the to that. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> she, she ratted herself out, not me. Was... <laughs> she did. She did rat herself out. But but it's it is true. I spent a lot of years explaining to God why that happened. Uh, yes. You know, and and Sky told me. Yeah, but have you repented? And I'm going, but you don't understand this, that, the other thing. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. But have you repented? <laughs> I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> no, I never said I hate you and I didn't hate him. But I did dislike him for making me face my well, responsibility yeah. in that. Well, I went through the same thing. And that's what mama's being nice and leaving out is that as I was studying this, I came to a realization of my own sin, of my own fault in, in the situation where it fell apart and, and my marriage fell apart due to infidelity. Um, not, not my own, but I had some guilt in the matter. And I, and I learned, I realized that I needed to repent that I was living in, in, in a situation that exalted itself against God. And so when I learned that and I repented and I, I felt a physical release from those bonds that were on me, I called mom. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, mom, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. I felt a physical release of these bonds, the shackle that's on me. And this is what I learned. And I started going down the list. And she said, yeah, but my, you know, no, you know. And I said, Mom. Have you repented? Yeah, this is what God said. God, this is what God's word said. <laughs> By God's word, we have to repent. And then she finally, you know, at the end she said, you know, you're right. I, yeah. I need to repent. And she went and repented. And then it was, you know, and, and I think after that, the gates, the gates of, of, of everything the Lord had for you going forward kind of got thrown open. Uh, within about 60 days. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, that, that years lack years. of repentance, that lack of coming to terms with God's law, not, not with our natural understanding. I mean, there's we have our own sense, our own innate sense of what's right and what's wrong. Right. But But when we hold the whole standard to that what we believe is what's right and what's wrong and instead we turn our eyes away from god's word then we never address our own areas of unfaithfulness he he dealt with me and i i i i will testify to the truth of what you and mom are saying because 
before we even filed for divorce or he kicked us out of the house, God showed me a mini movie of exactly the type of wife I was. And um, it put me on my face, to say the least. And um, and then later on, I mean, I still carried so much of that. And Papa helped me walk through, you know, through that. I guess it's been over a year now, almost two years. But um, absolutely. Maybe there's still some stuff I don't I'm, I haven't, I don't know yet. I don't know. <laughs> I can assure you there's always some stuff we don't know. I mean about this, because I am, I am quite sensitive still about a lot of it. Well, like I said, you haven't addressed your soul ties. And until you address those, you're not free of it. Okay. And, and those you need to address. That is a, uh, but that's, you know, the soul ties through marriage, that's that's something we can we can talk about. If the family wants to do a study on it, I'll 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 put a study together. Um, that's, I think that's for another. OK, still. Um, OK. Uh, so we read we read Matthew 19, six. And. Uh, and now I want to read a parable and we're going to put a loop in this thing tonight. We'll, Tie, tie a bow in it. All right. Mm-hmm. Turn to Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to be reading starting at verse 1. Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to be reading starting at verse 1. So, and, and just so that you're looking for what we're discussing tonight, I'm going to tell you that the topic of this parable for our sake is. A man is unfaithful if he's a, if he's a bad steward, and I particularly want you to pay attention to the fact that this man's whole family pays for his unfaithfulness. Mm. His whole family pays for his unfaithfulness, and and as as sad as that sounds, it's absolutely true that a man's unfaithfulness will cost his entire family. His whole family will have to pay for his unfaithfulness. His sons and his son's sons and his son's sons may have to live with generational curses upon them because of a man's unfaithfulness. God has a law in regards to unfaithfulness, and that law has been established. And, and God's law does not adjust for our feelings. I'll start reading And he said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of you? Give an account of your stewardship, for thou may no longer be my steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of the Lord's debtors unto him, and he said first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? He said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill. Sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill. And write four score. 
And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation, wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. There's another parable about a steward who owed his master a million dollars. And the master forgave his million dollars. He went outside and he beat his fellow servant for 20 bucks. When the master heard about it, he went took that man, brought him in. He said, I forgave you a million dollars. Why couldn't you give your fellow servant time to pay you? Why couldn't you forgive him also? And he said, you're a wicked servant. And he threw him and his family into prison, debtor's prison, to stay until the debt was paid. In both these situations, one of these stewards, one of these stewards, he decided to take sides with the world. He decided that he was only going to worry about his betterment in this world and and in in the carnal so he made a preparation for himself to change to a different master his master was the world or or the masters around him or the around him he sold out his own master to to go and serve another and the other guy he kept serving his master but he was unfaithful in his stewardship the first one the master lets it go, says, okay, good job. Good job. You made yourself a place in the world. Now let's see what you get in the mammon. The second master, because he had actually betrayed his master, he had actually gone against what the master had done for him. He was judged out of his own mouth. That guy that guy brought his whole family into condemnation. I, uh, I don't know, having come from, having come from a background of serving some masters in the darkness of this world, I've thought about this first one here in Luke 16 a lot. I thought about it from many angles about why did the steward get complimented? Why, why did he get a commendation for having done what he did? Why was he considered shrewd? If the master, there's, there's a way that you can look at that from a master that doesn't care about, that doesn't care about the material. And there's a way that you can look about that as a master who has already seen that his servant is unworthy and has written him off. Uh, I think it's important for us each to look at our stewardship and to think about our families. Since we're studying unfaithfulness, a man has to understand that his faithfulness, I think we, when, in part one of unfaithfulness in our study here, we mentioned the fact that Faithfulness is when you do the right thing, even when nobody else can know. Right. And, and unfaithfulness 
is sometimes when you do the wrong thing, thinking that nobody will ever know that you did the wrong thing. Only in your heart, you know, it was wrong. And sometimes you can't even find a verse in the Bible that backs up what you're doing. And so you justify your actions by the fact that I can't, I I looked in God's word, I couldn't find a verse that addresses this situation. There is a verse that addresses this situation. And here it is. If it's sin to you in your heart, then it's sin. Amen. If you look in your heart and you know it's wrong, then it is wrong. And and I think that we in our in our lifelong pursuit striving to be righteous that when we reach the point where we know right and wrong and we err on the side of right then we have then we have reached the path of righteousness is dad on i don't have him showing in my list no i don't think he is darling ah and can i say something really quick yeah when you're talking about our heart and trying to hide things and things that just come on us sometimes um I'm grateful for all of y'all for this, that you know the worst things about me and I'm able to be transparent um, with y'all about everything that, that comes on me that I deal with. And you just surround me with love and truth and no judgment. And I appreciate that. Mel, make no mistake, hon. The fact that you're so transparent about your flaws is is your righteousness. It is it is your it is your sense of righteousness. And and shame on those of us who aren't as transparent with our with our flaws as you are. Let's uh Well, in fact, if you'll take that that same thing that we were just reading in Luke 16 and just jump down to verse 15 Jesus explains what he was talking about he says he's talking to the Pharisees and he says you are those who justly who justify yourselves before men but God knows your hearts God knows your hearts God knows your hearts and what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God so right there he's talking about the way that we Christians dress up and and go to church and and only let those people at church see the best of us right and and that and that also is they are the steward that went and and sold out the mass the debt to the master for half price yes they they didn't want to lose their place their position as steward so they were thinking, oh, my gosh, we can't lose our power over the people. So we'll go and negotiate with the people and say, you know what? If you just meet it halfway, that's good. You've That'll, got righteousness that, right there. That's it. Yeah. We'll, and we'll just mark it, mark no. it on the books as yeah. you've done what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Don't worry. We're going to call it into God. And you're, you're, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's just, just what you're talking about, the fact that we, 
We all need to be that transparent. But you know what? It takes it takes spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, to be able to be that transparent and not break into a big sweat about what people are going to think that, that you really need them to, to, to like you, to think that you're better than you really are. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, I can't let the church know that I made a mistake because then I wouldn't be perfect. And everybody else there, of course, is perfect. Right. I don't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They said so. Yeah. I think a lot of the issue is is that we have a foundation of love um, amongst us, and it's known, right? So if you correct me, I know that you do it because you love me. And that also creates it, no matter how hard it is for me to confess something to y'all, I, I know that I'm safe because it's you love me right. and I don't think I don't think that I don't think that we get that a lot in church there's a lot of surface pat you on the back smiling um, call me if you need something but don't really call me because you know I don't want to get in your mess yeah kind of thing you know Absolutely. that there's not a lot of genuine because there's really not a lot of maturity, emotional, spiritual maturity in the church. And we haven't addressed it. We haven't discipled. We, we, we go out and we... Well, there's no spiritual maturity in the church because most churches don't cheat, teach anything about spiritual maturing. Good point. We, we, we're supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth. And most of the churches have most of the truth or some portion of the truth down packed. They're, they're teaching the truth. They teach the word of God or pieces of the word of God. Um, I'll give you a, a perfect example. I think a lot of the big pastors that you, that most of us listen to, uh, Swindoll, Spurgeon, um, the ones that dad sends around, a lot of them use book. Um, to prepare their sermons and the book is called word pictures in the new testament and and it's a uh it's a a commentary it's a it's a a illustrative commentary on every verse by verse in the bible last night i read to you guys from a um a scripture uh first corinthians 11 3 first corinthians 11 3 says but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And that's a, that's a hard verse. That's a verse that not many pastors will preach on. That's true. Because it's not popular. That's exactly right. But I wanted to recap tonight with you guys. And so I, I, wanted, so I, I went and got my word pictures in the New Testament. And I thought, well, if there's a good commentary on that, it'll be A.T. Robertson that'll give it to me. And, and I opened up my word pictures in the New Testament looking for 1 Corinthians 11.3. And lo and behold, it seems to be the only verse in the New Testament that they skipped. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, 
So, so, I'm just saying, when we're talking about the church teaching in spirit and in truth, that that the church understands the part about teaching in truth, but the part that's meant to edify us spiritually, the church has has completely fallen apart on. Well, it it and has. I'll, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you that I believe the reason for that is the big reason for that is we don't teach the supernatural in church. That is true. And there's no requirement of the supernatural. The truth is if you walk into a church and there's no miracles happening there, there's no supernatural there. You're in a whitewash tomb. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. That is a hard fact because Jesus said these signs will follow after those who believe in me. And it didn't say maybe, and it didn't say for the next 30 or 40 years. It said will. He says will. And so if you're in a place where where they don't have those signs that Jesus said would be there, well, you're in the wrong kind of place. And even if they're super nice and they have good coffee, and man, they put donuts out, and man, (laughs) you know, that's, yeah, well, you can choose if you want miracles or you want donuts. You know, I want I want fire. So and that's, I want, that's what I want I'm saying. Fire. And, and I don't the, care if I'm in a dirt floor wood cla- wood clap house. It didn't matter to me. Aaron, are you still on, son? Yes, sir. How about uh, you take a turn and pray us out tonight, since Grandpa's awesome. not on? Awesome. Lord, thank you for this time that we've uh, that we've been able to spend together, uh, meditating in your word, Lord, learning about your word, Lord, learning how to be closer to you, Lord. Um, thank you for the um, ability to be able to talk to one another in an open and loving environment, Lord. Um, and thank you for everything that you do, Lord. Thank you for opening up our hearts, Lord. And allowing us to um, hear the things that we need to hear to uh, grow in the path towards you, Lord. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. We pray. Amen. 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 Good night, family. I love you. Good night. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you.